Galatians 4, starting in verse 1, says, What I am saying is that as long as an heir is under age, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were under age, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the, time, the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. This is God's word. Let me pray. Father, open up our hearts to you this morning. Open our ears to hear what you have for us in the riches of your word. Pray that, Holy Spirit, you would preach a better sermon than I could up here that you would draw people to yourself, you would woo people to yourself, that they may walk out of here changed because of the teaching of your word. Pray that we may decrease in Christ, you may increase. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So as we look to God's word, as we look in the series that we're in, in the explicit gospel series, where we are finding this truth to be made known time and time again, that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. We see it over and over again that this is the everything of the Christian faith. That it's not Jesus plus our good works. It's not Jesus plus something else. It's it's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. It's not Jesus plus us following the rules, us keeping the law. It's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And everything we do then as as a Christian, as one who rests on that truth, flows out of an overflow or in response to that truth. So our Bible studies that we go through, our Bible reading, our prayer, our meditation, our get-togethers, our community, everything we do flows in response to that truth. We don't do it to gain. We already have. And because we already have, we do. And this is what Paul is continuing to tell us time and time again, that this truth changes us. We no longer do to gain, but because we have gained everything in Christ, we do. Last week, we looked at what it means to find our identity in Christ, and we're going to continue that. And Paul, in in this next chapter, Paul continues to be asking the Galatians, which is the Galatians is a many churches, essentially, a church of our size are scattered around the region of Galatia who have been swayed to believe that it's Jesus plus something and their something was circumcision and our something is rule-keeping, law-following, check-it-off-the-box religion. He's been asking them this question and he asks us this question this morning. Why are you settling for this? Why are you settling for this? Aren't you smarter than this? And he plays on their intellect because they were held in high regard according to their brain, according to how smart they were. Aren't you smarter? Aren't you more sensible? Why are you settling for this? How can you possibly think, Paul asks them and he asks us, that it's anything but Christ alone 
through faith alone, by grace alone. How can you think of it to be any other way? You were one to Christ with that thought. What makes you think that now you have to gain? And he asks us this same question. See, as we, if you haven't been following with us in the Explicit Gospel series, let me just catch you up to speed. So in chapters one and two, Paul spends time giving his personal testimony, saying that he received this from God directly because Paul knew that the message was only as strong as the messenger giving it, was only as credible as the messenger displaying it. So he said, I received it straight from God. It wasn't me making this up. Then Paul asserts that what he's received is from God. He goes and asks the question in chapter three, why would you go back to the law? It didn't get you here. God's grace in Christ did. Why would you run back there? Do you desire that much control? Essentially is what he's asking us and he's what he's asking the, the people in Galatia. It makes no sense. And, he, and he, he says and teaches us how we read our Bible in chapter 3, verse 8. As the promise preached beforehand. And my question as we went through that sermon is, do you read the Bible as this? The promise, the gospel found in Christ and Christ alone preached beforehand. And that as Paul flows from that we see that ultimately the promise of God is not based on you. It's not based on me and our rule keeping, our rule following, our law keeping. What we do, it's based on God himself. And so he entered into a covenant with us. And so we saw in Genesis 15, Abraham was lacking in faith and, and then all of a sudden he believed and it said his faith was credited to him as righteousness and God said, I'll prove it to you that my promise is not based on your behavior but based on who I am the never-changing God. It's based on who I am. Cut animals in half and get ready to walk through this ceremonial ritual that most people know at that time what to do. God at one end, Abraham at another. Abraham fell asleep because God put him to sleep. Not dead, as sometimes the Bible talks, but asleep, he's really asleep. And God, in the form of a smoking fire pot, goes all the way through and meets Abraham where he's at and says, may I be as these animals ripped in two if I do not uphold my end of the deal. So Abraham was changed forever. It was credited to him as righteousness. God said, this promise is not based on your performance, it's based on me. And it's what he tells us today. And then we get into this chapter four. And because Jesus did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, and because of his finished work, he fulfilled it on our behalf as if we followed every rule, every dot of the law was credited to us as if we kept it and we know we don't. And not only that, he didn't stop there. He came to purchase our adoption as a child of God. And this is where we land in chapter four. Our identity that is unshakable because of Christ's work on the cross is 100% complete. He didn't say, I'll do 99 and you do 1%. He said the debt was paid in full. And now we enter chapter four, where Paul is continuing to make this truth known. And he asks this question in this segment of text. Are you living as a slave? Or are you living as a free, loved child of God? That's what he asks us today. Paul tells us that Jesus didn't die to make you a good slave. He didn't die to make you an obedient slave. He died for you to become a free love child. 
When you are a child, no matter where you go, this doesn't change. You can grow, go to the ends of the world. It doesn't change. It's a foundation that is unshakable. And the same is true for those who are in Christ. And, and you ladies, I want to, you to know this. The, the word son is translated loosely, and it actually means child. And so if men, if we have to be the bride of Christ, ladies, you can be a son of God. How does that sound? So we look at chapter 4, and we see what it means to live as a free, loved child. Verse 1 tells us, What I am saying is that as long as an heir is under age, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. See, Paul is telling us that we're no different from a slave before Christ, that there is this father over everything, but yet the son of that father owns the estate eventually. And see, what, what Paul is telling us and what he's comparing it to is that in Christ, we now own the whole estate. The inheritance is now ours because everything that is in Christ, everything that is Christ is now ours because of the finished work, because he paid 100% of the debt that we owed, not because we obeyed, but because Christ fulfilled. So this frees us to live as a loved child. Here's the deal. Are you living as a good slave or a loved child? Are you living as an obedient slave or are you living as a loved, free child? I think some of us in this room today are living as obedient slaves. I think some of us in this room are living as obedient servants, doing enough to get by, and we feel at the end of our day that it is based on us a little bit, that it's Jesus plus something, my obedience, my Bible reading, my prayer life, my check it off the box, whatever it may be. And my question to you is why not live as a free loved child and do those things anyways? See, a good slave obeys because they are afraid of the consequences of not obeying. A loved child obeys into how much they're loved by their mom, how much they're loved by their dad, how much grace is found in them, how much mercy there is. See, when we understand that Christ died in order to adopt us as a loved child, we will then leave, live free. And we'll live in light of that, not to gain, but because we already have gained. See, on the cross, Christ paved our way to freedom to no longer look to the things in this world to satisfy us because Christ has already satisfied our every need. Look at verses two and three. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were under age, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of this world. See, in Christ, we are free. And Paul is telling us this, and he's telling the churches in Galatia, you are free. Remember the servant that we talked about last week. See, in this time, in the Roman world at this time, wealthy households would hire a guardian or servant to follow the son around. And whatever they do, the, the servant would say yes or no, or do this or don't do that, or say this or don't say that. And it would be this guiding person, always there, kind of just always overarching every situation to make sure that that son inherits the kingdom as they stay alive. That son lives an exemplary life, a credible life, one that people can look to and say, yes, that's the way I want to live. See, what, what Christ does is say that we no longer have to live under the, the guardian. Read verse three. So also when we were under age, 
We were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. Talking about the guardian as if it was our basic forces. And then we get to verse 4 and we see, although we live under this time of, of basic spiritual forces of a guardian, we see in verse 4 here, but when the time had fully come, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Why? To set us free. To set us free. True freedom to passionately pursue our father. True freedom to go when he says go. True freedom to not have to earn our way through life, but to receive grace upon grace upon grace. And we did nothing and Jesus paid everything, is what Paul is pointing to here. And you may ask this. So you may ask after we walk through all of these things, Derek, you're saying that Jesus plus everything equals nothing. So it's already done. So I just ride this ship into glory then, huh? I just kind of coast my way through life, getting by. I have my fire insurance. I'm good. And what I would tell you is that the reality is you don't fully understand what you've been one to if you think like that. You don't fully understand the grace that's found in Christ, the fullness of his love found in him and him alone if you have that mindset that you'll just ride this thing on into glory. That if you think that Jesus just died for the end of your life, although that is true, he died for your life right now. And what Paul is telling us is that this set time when Christ paved our way to freedom, when Christ paved our way to our inheritance is available now to you right now. And so if you think that you'll just ride this thing on in the glory, I would say that you're highly mistaken on just how good Jesus is. See, when we grasp what we have in Christ, we live radically different lives. In response to this, we can't wait to read about what God has done in his word. We can't wait to study it. We can't wait to find opportunities to serve, to love, to bless, to forgive. You know, I was, Aaron and I were in Florida this past week, Destin, Florida. As you can see, my skin matches my shirt. Did that on purpose, just for that joke. <laughs> and we're sitting at the airport, and, you know, we're waiting um, about an, two hours to, to hop on the plane because our flight was a little delayed. And there was these kids running back and forth, and, and just a, a mom by herself, um, letting her young kids, probably Emma and Luke's age, two and three, three and four, and just running. I'm like, that's a smart mom right there, by the way. Before you hop on the plane, let them run it out. That way they may calm, may calm down on the plane. Um, and I said, you know what the gospel does, sweetie? The gospel allows me and you to say, I hope I sit by those loud and rowdy kids on the plane so that way that single mom, that solo mom, doesn't have to feel as bad because we'll react in a, in a nice, generous gracious way. I know that to be true because the gospel allows that to be true. Or there was this loud guy in the airport, really loud, obnoxious, quite honestly. I can say that. Um, and uh, my first reaction was, I hope I don't sit by that guy on the plane. <laughs> when really the, what the gospel allows me to say is, I hope I sit by that guy on the plane so that way nobody else has to deal with him. <laughs> it's reality, right? So what we have in Christ is a way to live differently, a way to pursue differently, a way to forgive, and a way to respond differently. See, in this book, 
that's out on our resource library called Gospel Wakefulness. Jared C. Wilson puts it like this, and I'm going to tell it in his words as a story. Imagine you're driving down the road and your car stalls at a railroad crossing. You're understandably nervous as you try to reignite the car's engine, but you become even more so when you see a train turn the corner in the distance and begin quickly closing the gap between it and you. The train engine's horn is blaring and the engineer has thrown on the brakes, but you are too close and he's coming too fast. You move from trying to get to the car started to trying to unfasten your seatbelt, but fear has made your hands stiffen and shake. You can't get the seatbelt unfastened. The train is rushing towards you and you know you're going to be hit and you are. Suddenly from behind, a man in a truck behind you has decided to ram into your car and push you off the tracks, even as he destroyed, he was destroyed by the impact in the very spot you once occupied. You get out of the car, shaken, still frightened. frightened. You're terrified by the gruesome scene in shock over your rescuer's sacrifice. You're grateful in a way you've never been grateful before. You wish you could thank the driver of the truck for saving your life, even at the cost of his own. Even in your terrified awe, it feels good to be alive. You feel woozy, so you sit down in the trunk of your car, and as you're trying to retrieve your cell phone to call 911, you hear a whimper in the trunk. You didn't know that before you left the house as your kids were playing hide and seek, your youngest son decided to hide in the trunk of your car. As you open it frantically and discover that he is miraculously unharmed, you suddenly realize the total greatness of the loss you almost suffered. Your gratitude, your amazement, your new outlook on life takes a giant leap forward. This is what I'm talking about when you grasp what we have in Jesus. This gratitude, this response, this I'll never be the same understanding of who we are in Christ. That is why I'm burdened up here this morning to tell you that I so desire an identity for you that's not found in you, but that's found in Christ and Christ alone. Because though your strength may fail, though your health may deteriorate as we get older day by day, though your circumstances may change, your identity in Christ will never be shaken, will never be taken away from you. And if you truly understood that, you would not say, I'm going to ride this thing into glory. You're going to say, I'm going to live a passionate life for Christ and Christ alone. And wherever he says go, I'll go. Because Christ is better, because Jesus plus nothing is the truth that we live on here at Plymouth Community Church. And it's the truth that we seek to be made known in how we live our lives together. See, when you know who you are, you know how to act. If you know whose you are, you know what to do. And when it grasps you, when this truth of what's been done to purchase who you are, when it truly hits you like that, that story of not knowing your kid was in the trunk and realizing that everything's okay, when that truly hits you, you will never live the same. See, if you're constantly searching for who you are and what defines you, then what actually defines you? Your role that you play on this earth? Your, your job, your house, your family, your spouse, or, or the lack of those things? Is that what defines you? In Christ, what we see is no. We have two categories that we find ourselves in in, the, in these verses, slavery or sonship. Which one are you living by? 
I'm going to end it like this. Let's read Galatians 4, verses 3 and 5. So also when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. This text, those, those three verses can be a summary of the entire book of Galatians. And here's the surprising insight that, that helps us understand it. Who we are no longer depends on you, on me, but depends entirely upon who God is. God is more important for us than we are for him and for ourselves. God's purpose for you in the gospel, as we see in this text, is not that you, a disobedient slave, will finally become an obedient slave. God's purpose for you is that you receive adoption as his beloved child. Because Jesus was born under the law, lived under the law, and died under the penalty of the law, which we broke in paying our penalty for us, he delivered us from any claims which the law has had against us. He died under the law and in his resurrection was raised into a realm which the law as a legalistic system does not exist. This he did so that he would not only deliver us from the consequences of the law, but be invited into an adoption as a child of God. Ray Ortland says it like this, the gospel is not God saying to you, what a sorry foot-dragging slave you've been all your life. But here's the good news. My grace will make you a good little slave. I will write the law of slavery on your heart and you'll finally be good at slavery. You'll even like it. Ray Ortland says, this is not the gospel. The gospel is God saying to you, you have failed so badly that we're going to change the subject. I have a completely new arrangement for you. And God tells us in his gospel that I sent my son into the world not to punish the slaves, but to gather them in as a new family together through Jesus. And for his sake, I adopt you as my own child. That is the gospel. God tells us to leave all of our slavery behind, all of our fear of what might happen because our identity is in Christ. Circumstances no longer shape who we are. Failing health no longer shapes who we are because we are in Christ. Your identity is rooted there. This is the gospel. God could have sent us to hell. He could have left us to these elementary principles, law-keeping, rule-following religion, but instead he has given us the entire estate, freedom as sons, as daughters, to live for him. There's no greater purpose in this life to live for, than to live for him because Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Verse 7 is now true. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. And I flip these verses on purpose so that we see that we can cry out to God in the midst of our circumstances today. Verse 6, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit 
who calls out Abba, Father. I pray for you that as you hear these words, that you would be sitting there, and if you've never heard God as Abba, Father, that you would cry out Abba, Father, for the first time because of what you have in Christ. I pray that you would believe this, that this is your reality, that you would see this reality play out around you, that you would look at what's happening at his church here, specifically at Plymouth Community Church, and you would say, look at what God is doing. There are those of us who are living as free children of God, and I see it, and there is evidence of that. And there are those of you who are living as obedient slaves, and I pray by the power of the grace in Christ that you would be set free from that and would be seen and felt and loved as a child of God so that you may live free. You no longer be enslaved, but that you would see whatever my life may be, I have Jesus, and Jesus is enough. Jesus is saying, I've come to set you free to live as a loved child. Loved children of God, and that is who we are wherever we go. And as we look at the faithfulness of Christ, we see our lack of faithfulness. And as we look at the grace found in Christ, we see just how much we've been given, and we see just how free we actually are, so that when God says go, we go. And as we mourn, tenderly and celebrate excitingly as Nick and Jenna leave. I want to just say, because Jesus plus nothing equals everything, we don't hold tightly to the gifts that he's been given to us. Because Jesus plus nothing equals everything, we hold loosely to the resources to the building, to the people that he's given us because there is nothing that I want more for you sitting here today than to live out your identity in Christ. So because Jesus plus nothing equals everything, because Jesus is better than anything, Jesus is better than having Nick and Jenna close to us. Jesus is better than having Nick's leadership here, his humility here, his example to me. He's better than that. He's better than his musical talents. He leads worship way better than Nick ever could. Jesus is better than Jenna's passion, her burden for others, her love for others, her friendship. Jesus is better than keeping him close. So we mourn, yes, We hurt, yes, but we celebrate this and this alone. Jesus is their everything. And because that is true, they heard go, and they go. Because that is true, they leave the comfortable setting that we're in right now. Guys, the reality is they're leaving a really good thing. And as I look to transition into leadership, Nick essentially just put up a soft toss for me. He paved the way through some trials, through some pain. If you don't know that, just go back and ask somebody the story of PCC at its beginning. He paved the way. Most importantly, they paved the way by pointing us to Jesus. This is what it means to see our freedom in Christ, 
We go when he says go because Jesus is better. We obey. We get more of him, get this, by obeying. We get more of Jesus by saying yes. We get more of him by entering into the unknown because we're desperate for more of him. Because when your hope is in the finished work of Christ, you can live free, free to do exactly what our Father is calling us to do. Wherever we go, we are loved. All of yourself for all of God. It's the transaction that God calls us to. All of yourself for all of God. It's not all of God for 50% of yourself. It's all of God for all of yourself. It's all of himself in Christ for all of you. So let's join Nick and Jenna in surrendering our lives for the sake of living out all the good news that we have in Christ. Let's let this moment here as we seek to send Nick and Jenna up to St. Joe to do the work of the gospel ministry that they've already been doing here, let's seek to live out that truth that is driving them up there, that Jesus plus nothing is better than everything, (laughs) that Jesus plus nothing is everything. Let's seek to join them. Let's seek to make Christ's name known in our community, in our homes, in these pews, in these chairs. I can't call them pews, they're chairs. Let's seek to make his name known above all else as we worship, as we preach, as we look at God's word. Let's seek, why do we do this? Why is this the case? Because we cry out, Abba, Father, because we're no longer a slave, verse seven, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. The entire estate, verse two, Verse one is ours. Everything is ours in Christ. Let's seek to be a church that lives this out. And I'm going to end and then invite Nick up to encourage us. Let's end in Romans 8. Starting in verse 15. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are God's children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. This is the truth that the spirit is moving. The Spirit is bringing this truth into our lives, and I pray that we would never live the same because we are living out who we are in Christ by the power of His Spirit. Let me pray and then invite Nick up. Father, we seek you in all things. We seek you above all things. We know that when we search for you, we find you. When we ask We receive. So, Jesus, I pray that those of you, those of us sitting in these chairs who don't know you as Abba Father, that God, they would come to you for the first time and say, It's only because of Jesus that I can cry out, Abba Father, that nothing in my hand I bring simply to you, Jesus, I cling. I pray that to be true. I pray that we would walk away changed. I pray that we would be like that parent who found the child in their trunk after being saved from an ongoing train, that we would live with that kind of gratitude, that we would live with that kind of urgency, that kind of passion, because we have that in you, Christ. I pray 
for Nick and Jenna, that Holy Spirit, you would go before them. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.